Come on. Welcome to Lifeblood. This is George G, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Zeb Farben. Zeb, are you ready to do this? Let's go. Let's go. Zev is the co-founder and CEO of Light Tricks. They are an award-winning app company helping brands and creatives discover new ways to express themselves. Excited to have you on. Zev, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Sounds great. Excited to be here. So before Light Tricks, I spent... uh, a decade in academia. Most of my research was somewhere on the border between computer graphics, image processing, and computer vision. And towards the end of my PhD, a mobile kind of uh, rushed in into our life. And with the, my co-founders, we have like this thesis that at some point people will realize that the mobile is a great platform, not only for content consumption, but also for content creation. And we basically wanted to be that company that provides the most kind of sophisticated and powerful tools for people to create cool content, photos, videos, music, etc. And back in the day, it actually was a controversial thesis. Like I think many people thought that mobile is a great platform for social uh, media networks, for uh, gaming maybe, but not so much for content creation. And we actually believe with time, people will be able to express themselves to do really cool things on mobile. And um, in the beginning, we actually thought to do it as an academic project. We actually wanted to create you know, some kind of a cool photo editing app uh, while being in, in the academia, but that didn't work out. So together with a group of friends, we decided to create Lightrix and uh, to try and help creators across the world to express themselves in the magical ways and that's what we're doing since then like as to why well when we started we just like felt that there's like this sense of opportunity to do something cool on mobile to create a company that doesn't exist yet it also like felt like this like we were a bootstrap company meaning we didn't raise any money we kind of started uh, without any financial backing it felt like this kind of unique moment in time where you want to kind of explore something new with your friends to embark on a new journey, to be financially successful. And uh, all these things happen. So these days, it's uh, just like being on this roller coaster of the startup existence and uh, trying to get uh, the best experience out of it. Nice. Well, I certainly appreciate all of that. And 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 how long have you been at it with Lightrix now? So we left Academia in 2012, officially incorporated in 2013. So by now it's been more than eight years. Time flies, huh? <laughs> Indeed so. <laughs> nice. Well, that is that is I, I I don't want to call it quite a departure, but I, I don't necessarily think of academics as as entrepreneurs and certainly a, a bit of a it's a massive risk to become an entrepreneur. But then not only that, to become an entrepreneur in a space which didn't really exist. Well, it, it's true. When we kind of decided to depart from academia, it uh, made quite a stir in the computer science department of Hebrew University of Jerusalem. A lot of people thought what we were basically crazy, kind of putting our 
academic career on hold, but we actually had some really nice role models here in Israel already. So one of the faculty members of Hebrew U, Professor Amnon Shashua by then already like co-founded Mobileye, which became with time like really successful public company and then Intel acquired them for $15 billion. So we already have like these role models of people who started in academia and then created like really successful companies. So for us, it definitely felt like it's, it's doable. It's so kind of initial attempts at creating content creation tools on mobile. And while these tools were like really cool, we kind of believed that we, we can do better. And that's, I guess, what gave us the confidence to try. And in terms of not being an established market, we almost saw it like a bonus. It allows us to start small, being very agile, not to raise any money move kind of quickly forward. And again, I give you an example. When we created our first app, Facetune, it's a mobile Photoshop app. Our expectation from this app were to hopefully get $100,000 in revenue in order to embark on even a bigger project. Like we couldn't, I mean, if someone told us that at some point down the line, Facetune is gonna surpass $100 million in annual revenues, we definitely wouldn't believe that, right? But uh, again, for us, uh, while it was a risk, we just like felt it's exciting, cool opportunity, new thing that doesn't exist. Uh, so yeah, we decided to do it. Nice, well, I appreciate that. And you mentioned partners. How many how many partners do you have, or did you have, and so now do you have? We have a big co-founding team of five people. Uh, I think it's uh, an unusual setup and. Uh, all of the co-founders of Lightrick are still uh, kind of, uh, on the board of the company. One of us uh, kind of decided to start his own venture fund, so he's already on the finance side of things. The other four are still uh, operationally involved in the company. Nice. There are probably a ton of lessons and tons of podcasts just in successfully working with that many other people. Um, <laughs> Do you have a big takeaway there or, or, or advice to, to other would-be founders? Yeah, for sure. It's actually easy. I mean, uh, th there are certain questions when the people ask you, they change over time, right? So if you ask me why I'm doing what I'm doing, my answer now and eight years ago would definitely be different. But in terms of <laughs> advice for potential entrepreneurs with respect to co-founders, it, it's still the same thing. You, you need to realize that you're basically getting yourself into the Catholic marriage, okay? Yeah. It might be easier these days to dissolve that kind of marriage than uh, your startup relationship, so you should be super careful. And, you know, in, in the beginning, many people actually focus on the downside of entrepreneurial journey, citing, I don't know, like percentage of the startups with, that fail, et cetera. But sometimes you also need to ask yourself, well, what happens if they actually succeed? And then it's not a two, three year journey. It's a 10 year journey, or maybe it's a 20 year journey, right? And then you realize that you're gonna see these people every day for many, many years, and you're gonna spend more time with them and your family, your spouse, et cetera. So that, that's a really big consideration you need to make sure that you both really respect these people in terms of their capabilities and you just like enjoy spending time with them because uh, again if it's not there you're gonna suffer to a degree it's gonna be less fun and it's gonna impact your resilience over time yeah for sure and 
you, I'm, 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 I think that you have a, a computer science background and you were a computer scientist. How has that changed um, as CEO? <laughs> this is one of these painful points where <laughs> at some point you're kind of trying to keep uh, writing some code. And uh, kind of inside the company, no one is bold enough to tell you, oh, come on, <laughs> stop trying to contribute your code. It just like, creates <laughs> bottlenecks for everyone around. And then investors start to ask, well, how are you spending your time? And then you're kind of trying to show that you're still a builder and that you're like committing some code. And they're kind of looking at you like, listen, Zev, <laughs> are you sure it's the best use of your time, etc." So I kind of try to... Help you know in with hands-on projects. I think until 2018 it was so kind of six seven years in, and after that it became clear to me that I'm really just bottleneck, and uh, there are people across the company that are way more qualified to doing a single contributor's work. So I stopped. I had the <laughs> of uh, a transition period that was colored with a little bit of melancholy around sure. feeling that the certain parts of my brain are becoming extremely rusty and have uh, nothing to do in order to change that. But at some point I realized that uh, there's a lot of fun to be had across other domains of running the company and that's where I'm trying to focus these days. Got it. Different seasons of life and business. So Exactly that. Got it. Nice. All right. So y'all at Lightrix are making these incredible apps and programs that, that, that make it possible for people to express themselves in ways that didn't realize were even possible and, and new and exciting things. How, how, how do you think about innovating and, and, and finding new product projects versus keeping the great stuff that you have going? So internally, we have like this framework that uh, one of the co-founders near uh, kind of basically got from his PhD studies. He was doing most of his research around machine learning and multi-engine systems. They like this framework that's called exploration versus exploitation. And uh, it, again, it has something originally had something to do around like how much time you're getting kind of a certain branch of your kind of uh, exploration as an algorithm to go in a certain direction before you kind of move to other directions, etc. So we kind of realized that in order to both innovate and uh, protect the core business, you need to do both of these activities, right? So again, like roughly 70, 80% of the time, you're gonna work on keep the current business running. There is no other way around it, right? We have a significant scale of revenues and we have a lot of users. We have a lot of paying users, more than 5 million subscribers, right? Like these people expect certain features. So you need to deliver kind of value that kind of people expect for you that we're putting under like this bucket of uh, exploitation, right? So again, you already have an existing business. It needs to keep running. That said, we constantly realize that in order to create like these breakthrough moments, you need to invest time in exploratory activities. And it takes internally here, I would say two main forms. One, we're having like this concept of where people are working on something that's not related to their immediate task, right? It could be a 
training projects where you're just like learning something new that you expect is going to relevant to what you're doing at some time. It can be a project with a different team where you're bringing new ideas. But that's like really valuable, in my opinion, to kind of put people in this exploratory mode. And another bucket of activities is basically have a kind of big research team across the company, right? So we have, a, I think, relative to our size, like a really big kind of research team. Like, so we are a company of like roughly 500 people and our research team, meaning people that focus on exploring technological breakthrough and figuring out how they can be relevant to a new generation of tools. We have almost 40 people that are working on these things. And that's a lot. Like uh, for, a, for a startup of our side, I think it's kind of unprecedented. So that's our way of tackling innovation, kind of clearly realizing that you need to allocate a budget, okay, kind of a clear time budget for these activities. Nice. Yeah, I think that's, that certainly makes sense. And I always appreciate people have a framework and 500 people and 40 working on, 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 on developing the new tools. That's, that's, that is very, very exciting. So, it's not, not even exactly new tools. It's something even more exploratory than that, right? They're a kind of looking into the latest technologies in computer graphics, machine learning, image processing, and it's not immediately clear sometimes what is the applicability of these technologies to tools, right? So, but they still kind of work on these things. They start to play with the things, get some intuition around how it can be helpful for product people, start to collaborate with product people, basically show them prototypes and asking them, listen, do you kind of think that you have something to do with this thing? So it's a kind of really exploratory. Obviously, a ton of these things do not see the light of day. But uh, <laughs> so far, we weren't able to figure out how you can innovate without it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So what, what is the experience that you hope people have when, when they come across light tricks or, and they, they look at using some, some, some of your apps or products? So, since we started the company, we're always like really valued fun. Okay, meaning both internally, we want to enjoy what we're doing and externally. So we want to create an experience that uh, when the user uses the tool, it feels magical, but also it feels like the user is doing something. Like it's a creative process where you're having like these cool aha moments where you realize, oh, I can kind of create something cool. So typically we're going to try to we're gonna we're typically try to avoid from a completely automatic solutions, right? We're just like, you know, tapping on the button, something happens and you have no control over that, right? Uh, we prefer to have something that, you know, that has a ton of technology under the hood that kind of facilitate a lot of friction points that exist in a professional software by removing, again, like degrees of control that we do not feel that are useful for, you know, vast majority of users, but still retaining a degree of control where you're both kind of feeling that there is no ton of friction, but you are still in control. And then we're like really looking for this kind of cool moments where the user is like, oh, I kind of figured out it's cool and kind of really feels mine, right? Like again, imagine Instagram filter back in the day, it was like this one click interaction. Again, it's cool, it's okay for, for most people, but people who are coming to use our tools, are looking for something beyond that, right? And in order to 
kind of make them to appreciate the experience, like we need to create like this magic that comes from reducing friction, but still having fun and still having control over the process. I love it. Yeah, that certainly does make sense. It's supposed to be fun after all, Zev. That's what <laughs> exactly. we want to do. <laughs> exactly. That, that's where we started. I mean, listen, it's hard to uh, be a company that uh, creates cool stuff for creative people without having far and eternity. Again, when, once you're exploring things, we mentioned exploration before, you, you need to have fun. That's like really part of that. Yeah, it's interesting. And as, as those words left my mouth, I realized that there's probably a lot of folks who use your tools who are doing it for fun. Yes, but this is also now their business and this is their livelihood. And so is ob- obviously the reason that you have so many people making sure that the things work the way that they want to or they need to, or that you say that they're going to is because people are depending on you for, for their work. You know, like for us, it was a really big kind of shift in the mindset that happened recently uh, actually, like we realized that this shift in the mindset of our users happened, I would say, over the course of the last two years. Like two, three years ago, when we were asking our users, what are you using the apps for? 75% of them would answer that it's actually a creative hobby, something that they do in order to share, like on social media with friends and family. But most of them didn't come to our apps with some commercial intent in mind. These days, it's completely flipped, right? Only 25% of users are coming to our tools for kind of pure fun or hobby. And 75% 75 of them are coming with a commercial intent. And what actually happened is that our creators start to realize that the content that they create that typically goes to major social media platforms is the engagement driver of these platforms, right? So they actually start to realize, well, the fact that TikTok is so successful as a platform is because we are creating like these cool videos and they start to realize, well, that gives us power and we need to figure out how to leverage that. So these days we're actually trying to figure out how we're helping our users, not only to create a cool content, but also how to grow their audience, how to monetize this, et cetera. And that's also kind of really exciting, right? When you're seeing your users being able to create a kind of major source of income from something that started their hobby, that, that's also pretty cool. What an incredible shift. That's amazing. Do you think that the pandemic really sort of catalyzed that or would, would that have happened anyway? I think it would happen anyway, but yeah. the pandemic was definitely a catalyzator. Like for sure, we like saw it in, the, you know, in numbers of downloads, etc. And uh, I think it, yeah, it's like really you know, facilitated some of the trends that already happened. I don't know when we look at the media consumption, it's kind of clear that uh, there are like these big trends of transition to a short format, video format, right, and. Uh, all this TikTok phenomena, etc. And uh, once people consume more media this way, it's kind of like this flywheel that attracts creators. And at some point they realize, oh, we created a following and uh, it can be something beyond the hobby. So yeah, it's, that's basically when people talk about creators economy, it's like this huge, you know, like this huge buzzword basically by now and everyone sees something different there. For us, creators' economy is exactly that. It's like this shift in the mindset of our users that realize that uh, the fact that they create cool and engagement content for major social media platforms gives him a lot of leverage and they can create 
something meaningful out of it, not only a hobby, but something that's yeah, going to be integral part of their life, something that will they will be able to monetize. And that's really cool. We're like super excited about that. It's incredible. Love it. Was that appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and Light Tricks? Thank you very much for having me. And how, how can people engage with you and, and where can they find Light Tricks? Well, uh, we're amidst a huge talent war across the high-tech industry. So we are hiring heavily to a ton of positions across the board. So if some of your uh, listeners in interesting to take part of helping creators to uh, be successful on th- their journey. We are open for business. Excellent. And uh, if people are interested, what is the website or, or how can they find you? So lightrix.com. Excellent. Well, if you enjoyed this much as I did, shows have your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to lighttricks.com and check out all the great stuff that they're working on. And there's an opportunity for you to join this growing team. Well, then definitely check that out as well. Thanks, kids. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.